Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Miranda Tsigonski, Chief Customer Officer at Swiftly. In this episode, Miranda shared her early career experience and how she made a move from the factory production line to an office role and later into customer success. We then dove into Miranda's framework for assessing the customer success function when joining a new company, how she went about splitting out the high-touch customer success function at Swiftly, and we closed off with some tips for and hiring advice for customer success leaders building new teams. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at channel.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael. And here's today's episode. Hey, Miranda, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. It's great to have you. For the listeners, Miranda is the Chief Customer Officer of Swiftly, a big data platform designed specifically for transportation data and operations. Miranda is also a principal thought leader at Practical CSM and a member of the Board of Advisors for CSM. Prior to Swiftly, Miranda held roles as a Customer Success Coach at Catalyst, VP of Customer Success at Parad. VP of Customer Success and, op- and Customer Operations at HelloSign, and several other leadership roles at leading technology companies. So my first question for you, Miranda, is what is the definition of customer success for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. And so easy, but I'm sure you ask 10 different leaders, you're going to get 10 different uh, takes on it. For me, it's the actual motion that an organization creates to make sure a customer is able to be successful in your product or your service, that they're able to achieve their desired outcomes, get a great return on their investment, and continue to grow and evolve with your company and with your product. Yeah, I like, I like the way you say easy answer, but as you mentioned, like pretty much everybody else will give you some very variation of that. It's definitely something we've talked about a lot on the podcast and actually just now giving me the idea, maybe I should be asking this question to every person I speak to on the show as well, just to maybe formulate see the perception in the market and how it changes, because it definitely varies uh, wildly. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your early days, like how did you get started? We were having a chat before as well. You, you mentioned that you're working in a factory and then made a break. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Like how did you make it into customer success and where you are today? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I grew up in rural Michigan on a farm in the middle of nowhere. And I, I... When I when I graduated from high school, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do or where I wanted to go. I got married very young and I went to work 
at a local factory in Michigan, not in that order, but <laughs> I went to work at a local factory. I was working at actually Frigidaire. So I was building refrigerators. I ran the screw gun. I was really good at it too, but I did that from six in the morning to 2.30 PM. And then at night from six at night to 12 PM part-time, I started answering phones at a call center for Amway. Amway has a huge presence in Michigan and their headquarters is right outside of Grand Rapids. So I used to drive from my small community an hour to go answer phones at this call center. And that was like my first foray into the professional world or kind of getting an idea of what it would be like to work in an office. And I knew I, I wanted more. I then shortly thereafter, I moved uh, to Mexico for a year. I lived there and had another shift in my career where I was, I was so young, but I was managing the these uh, plant managers at factories that were sewing blue jeans. So it was my responsibility to make sure that we were meeting our numbers, that we were, the quality was high, that we had all of the supplies we needed, so on and so forth. And the rest is kind of history. I had various careers or various, I wouldn't say careers, but various jobs along the way. I spent nine years at a pretty large organization where I managed a portfolio of accounts and it was very high dollars, high stakes. The company itself had probably about 30,000 employees globally. And we had upwards of 30 to, I don't know, 30 to $40 billion a year in revenue. So it was a very high stakes type of role. Yeah. And then I shifted to startups. I moved from Michigan to Silicon Valley. And now I've been a part of seven startups. So what would you say is like, the biggest difference uh, and what biggest difference between like sort of the, the larger corps and moving to startups that you see and what has like been the thing that's kept you in startups uh, because seven startups it's it's quite a lot of different companies to move between so yeah so larger organizations there's pros and cons to both being part of a startup or part of a larger organization i think individuals who are trying to make the decision if they want to work in a larger organization or smaller you have to do some soul searching so larger organizations generally move slower. They're more predictable. There's usually more stability. I say that kind of tongue in cheek because I know that larger organizations tend to do layoffs frequently, but there's generally more stability that your paycheck is always going to be there. You tend to have better benefits, healthcare, 401k match, things like that. And you, again, I'll just reiterate, predictability. Everything is usually figured out. There's usually a wiki or something that tells you how to do everything. And you don't have to stress about new things that you encounter and how are you going to handle that? Because it's usually already been encountered and it's already documented. Yeah. Startups, quite the opposite. There is a lot of, there's a lot of unpredictability in the day-to-day. -day. You're building, you're usually part owner in whatever it is you're building. If you get options, you have a little bit probably more chaos in the day-to-day, -day, but you get to help create the process and, and define the role. You help build the company. The benefits usually aren't as great. The pay isn't usually as great, but you tend to get some shares in the organization, which tends to make up for it if you successfully build out this organization. Yeah. And I'd say I'd add another big difference, I think for me as well, is just accelerated learning. You you do learn a lot in like large organizations, but in startups, you typically need to pick up a lot of different and varied tasks and forced a lot of times to go out of your comfort zone and 
learn new things. I think for me, that's one of the things I love about the startups and the environment is just like the continuous learning and uh, being able to immerse yourself into to new technologies, new ideas, new ways of working. Yeah, um, no, that's a really big call out as well. My husband works for a very large organization. I work, of course, in startup land. And we often joke with each other that I'm using like the latest and greatest tech tools that are out there. And even though he works for a large organization that's well-funded, they don't because the change management to incorporate those types of tools or methodologies is quite significant to where in a smaller organization like a startup, usually you have dozens of people that you have to manage change, not thousands. So it's quite different. And this, I think, is why, is, is well, why churner retention varies quite drastically depending on the size of the business. Like, as you mentioned, the change management. Once you get a tool or service into an enterprise organization, like the chances of getting it out there are a lot less likely because of all the processes and people that things need to go through before a decision like that can be made. So there's pros and cons everywhere. And so obviously throughout this time, uh, you've been involved in building various teams as well on the customer success side. And today I thought it'd be interesting a little bit to dive uh, a little bit into sort of your process going into company, how you go about thinking about building out the customer success practice, and then maybe touch on a little bit about hiring. Uh, what are some of those key hires that you want to be bringing in and what stages? So that was a very loaded question, <laughs> uh, but maybe we can start off like, Going into a new company, what are some of the first things you're doing when you're thinking about like the customer success practice and what needs to get done? Yeah, when I first go into a startup, of course, I, I go on what I call like a learning tour. So I'm doing a lot of shadowing, asking a lot of questions, talking to customers, really digging into the story that the data is going to tell me as well. So looking at customer support tickets, if there are tickets, I have usually I join pretty early and sometimes there's no ticketing system, but digging into tickets, figuring out why do customers typically contact us? Where's the fallout? What does the customer life cycle look like? Where do the, where does churn tend to happen? Where does, if somebody gets par past this point, are they infinitely more successful? We're really looking at all of those points. And so first that's my learning tour. The second thing is I look at the team that I have already, understand what is their background? What have they achieved? What are their natural abilities? Where are areas of opportunity? What are their desires? What do they want to do? Where do they want to grow and evolve to? What are, what are their goals? And see if there are any gaps there. Are these gaps that I need to fill by hiring or are these gaps that can be filled with training and just working and partnering with it? The next thing I look at is processes, really digging in on how are we doing things right now and understanding what's working What's not working? What are we missing? Where's the gaps there? You can see a, like a theme, a trend here. Yeah. Uh, and I also try to really dig in utilizing the five why process, figuring out we're doing this, but why? And it can't be just because this is the way we've always done it. There has to be really significant output from the processes, making sure that they're providing value to someone or somehow. Then last is my tool, my tool stack. I look at my tech stack, making sure that I have the tools in place that complement the processes, complement the people, complement the customers. And then I go from there. How do I determine or how do I build out the customer success team or determine when? It depends on all of those factors and what I look at to figure out 
most startups generally start with a customer support team first, and then they build a customer success team. I actually did it the opposite way here at Swiftly. We do not get a ton of tickets. There wasn't a ton of need for support. Built the customer success function out first, then started peeling off implementations, renewals, tech support, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I can imagine as well, like today we're at Swiftly, I'm making an assumption, yeah, but I think your customers are typically be large corporations or governments. And yeah, so definitely uh, like a high touch model that you're, uh, you're adopted there and can also see why you probably don't have many customers, but you just have very big customers. Is that like a good assumption? Uh, yeah, we have around 110 customers. Oh, yeah. uh, ARR averages from around 140 all the way upwards of 1.1 million a year. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. So quite big customers on that side. So then you're dealing with a really high touch model. You mentioned you didn't start with support. I'm sure there are other listeners out there that have a similar makeup and model as well to you at Swiftly. Like the motivations to start with customer success, I think it makes sense. So what you mentioned now, what did you get set up first? How did you go about doing it? Where did I get, sorry, repeat the question. What did you set up first in customer success? What were some of the things you mentioned quite a few different areas where you go in and you take a look at, I'm assuming at this point, there was nothing. No, there was a small foundation already put in place. So when I joined, there was a team of one, two, three individuals that had already gotten things rolling and were managing portfolios, but they were managing everything from soup to nuts. Two of the team members started two to three months before I did. So they were, they were underway, but it it was still in its infancy, but I I was incredibly impressed when I joined to see everything that had been built out already. So I didn't inherit something that was just not there at Swiftly. I have at other organizations, but at Swiftly, we had a little foundation going. So I, I, again, learning tour, just understanding what was needed. What I was noticing is we weren't able to proactively manage our portfolios because the majority of the time was being spent doing onboarding and implementations and training. So that was actually the first thing that we peeled off, created its, it created a separate team. And now we have four people in that team doing just onboarding, implementation, training, change management, all of that kind of stuff. And that freed up the customer success managers to be able to proactively manage their portfolios, have conversations, get goals, partner with the transit agencies to make sure that they're getting a return on their investment and they're they're achieving value within our product. The next thing I noticed was we didn't have a great renewals function because we were so junior as a company uh, and we had larger and longer contracts. So that was the next friction point was the actual renewals function. Then, of course, we added in CS Ops. It's been, it's again, it just started. We just started with CS Ops this last January, and it's only February 17th. So it's still underway, and right. we are peeling off tech support as well. Okay. So it looks like you're really focusing on the various functions and really trying to give specialty to each function. How is the team working together then? New customer comes in, you have an onboarding specialist come through. Is at that point you have the CSM working with the onboarding specialist as well? Like how are you managing time between it and how I think I would always find awkward in these situations is like the handoffs. And I used to find incredibly frustrating when you're working with the company, you're purchasing software and then you never end up knowing who should I be speaking to for what. So how are you dealing with that so swiftly? 
Yeah, I think we deal with it pretty well. So the customer success manager is introduced at the kickoff call with the implementation team. The implementation team makes it very clear. These are the things that I'm going to be doing with you. This is what it looks like. Here's what the timeline looks like. And then your CSM will be picking up the relationship from there on out. So it's just really clearly communicated right out of the gate. The customer success manager is introduced. The customer success manager attends not all calls, but a lot of the calls throughout the implementation just to make sure they get to know their face and they build rapport and the customer's looking at them like they're a subject matter expert as well. And there's no trepidation about the hand. So that's how we've handled it. It's pretty simple and it seems to work really well. And the relationships, uh, the relationship component in our business is really huge. So yeah. it's important for us to be able to build that rapport right out of the gate. I can imagine. I think for, from your perspective as well, like knowing and understanding who the customer champions are within the organizations and expanding the number of those champions within the organization can be critical because losing one, I think it can also be a, a huge loss to the business. That huge loss. Yeah. Huge loss. Yeah. When you only have 100 plus customers and the revenue is high, you don't want to lose anyone. No. Period. Yeah. Absolutely not. And then you mentioned as well, you have your renewals uh, team. Like what's the relationship like then with them and with the CSMs? Um... It's funny you ask me that because right now we're actually getting ready to do some changes on this. So the renewals function has sat under customer success up until now. We did not have an account management team which is why we own the renewal within customer success. How it has worked up until now is we have the renewals manager who would join the strategic conversations where we knew like key stakeholders would be there. Not all of them, but anytime we were going to be talking about a renewal that's coming up in six months or going over maybe an executive business review to show ROI and things of that such. Uh, the renewals manager also would have a monthly renewals rundown conversation with each CSM, go over their portfolio with them, understand where are the risks, how are we going to approach this renewal, is this going to go to RFP, which is another beast that we don't probably want to go down <laughs> in this podcast. Yeah. Uh, how are we actually going to be doing this procurement motion and so on and so forth. So I really liked having the renewals function, at least at this phase in customer success, because it was just being built out. It was something new for the organization. What we have done now is we added an account management team last year to really focus on the upsell motion. And because they're focusing on upsells, and the commercials that are around upsells, sometimes there is overlap between the renewals manager and the account manager. So we've recently determined because of like customer experience and overlap, we're actually going to be folding renewals into account management because of how big these contracts are. It just makes sense. So sales are really focused there. And what led you to say, okay, this is the right move for us to make was there any sort of friction or specific points in time when you said, okay, I need to make this change now? Yeah, there, there was definitely like some internal friction between the account managers. They're doing everything they should be doing in regards to focusing on expansion. And then the account manager was very, or sorry, the renewals manager is very focused on retaining the current revenue. So there was just this natural friction. But what really, what caused me to make this decision was I was taking a look at the customer experience. Instead of putting my company hat on, I put my customer hat on, which yeah. I urge 
leaders to do. When you're building out your teams and how you're going to handle the various motions in the customer lifecycle, put your customer hat on and understand what the optics look to them. That's what I did. And I did this just, I don't know, probably a month or two ago. I started thinking about, boy, I wonder what the customer is experiencing when they have the CSM who is working with them on their projects and getting a return on the investment on their current investments. And then account managers who are focused on future investments. And then a renewals manager who's talking to them about the commercial aspect of yeah. their current investment. I'm like, gosh, this must feel very fragmented to them. So it, it was a no-brainer for me to say, let's do what's best for the customer. And then I tapped my counterpart, the chief sales officer, and ran my thoughts by him, what I was thinking through. Yeah. And we both agreed. We're like, yeah, this actually makes a lot of sense from the customer experience. For sure. And then it sounds, obviously, we were chatting uh, about this earlier with previous guests as well. I had this second interview today. But the idea as well, like in a lot of companies where they say, okay, churn and retention is customer success's job. And this doesn't sound, obviously, then it's like the case for you, at least not to a certain degree, if you're moving renewals out. If it is, no, not at all. how are you no. dealing with that conversation? Like, I, uh, yeah. I absolutely disagree with you. Yeah. So everything we do drives churn and retention, drives either negative churn or retention. I haven't heard anybody say negative churn in forever, so I'm going to throw that out there. Yeah. But it drives retention, expansion, increasing lifetime value. We are so heavy focus, heavily focused on adoption and making sure that the customers are achieving their goals, getting a return on their investment, not just getting a return on their investment, but telling them how they're getting a return on their investment, showing them the hard ROI numbers and then also the soft ROI, like the quantitative and the qualitative. Like yeah. That is the job of customer success. If we don't do that well, if we don't prove that you are getting a return on investment, especially when we're talking about government dollars, we will not have a line item on the budget, period. And yeah. customer success is heavily responsible for that. Yes, so you maybe got me wrong as well. I wasn't saying that customer success is not responsible. For what were the discussion we were having was that typically organizations say customer success, you're responsible for churn and retention and it's your job to own the metric. And is that the case for you currently? Does yes. your team own the metric? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because then I would also disagree with you on this one, but maybe in your case, it makes a lot more sense because of the number of customers and the focus. But I think obviously the premise of the show is just the number of different inputs uh, that go into it that everybody influences. It. So sales comes and they bring in bad leads and they're selling to bad customers. They're going to churn because they're not good fits. Marketing's over selling promising. Like you can, I could tell you every team in the company, how they're influencing it. But I think one of the nicest ways of putting it from a customer success standpoint is like, Somebody needs to be the owner of all these experiences. Somebody needs to be that internal champion that sort of goes and says, hey, like marketing, what are you doing? Like you're selling a load of crap on our site. We need to fix this because people aren't understanding things correctly or sales do a better job and uh, say no to some leads and only close the leads that should be coming through. I see it from that vantage point as well. And I see in your case, like why it's ever so more important with the number of clients and customers that you have as well. The team now you mentioned as well, you got started. There was two or three of you. How big is the team now? And Customer success, where are we at? 16, 17, I think, right around there. Uh, and when did you get started then? So it's been a couple of years now. 
about three years. Three years. All right. So you've grown the team quite nicely over the thing. In terms of hiring for customer success, and I'm just being wary of the time, so I'm not going to be able to go too deep, but maybe let's like, what are some of your go-to questions that you love to ask in a customer success interview? Part one. And part two, what would you say is the absolute most necessary skill uh, that a customer success rep needs to have? Yeah, I actually have published a full article about this called the customer success interview blueprint. So there's not one question that's my go-to. I have a full framework that I utilize. I do have, if anybody is listening to this and you're interviewing with me, you literally have success at your fingertips. If you just Google me or go on to my LinkedIn and look through my articles, um, because I do everything from an exercise on the phone screen where I give a prioritization exercise. So I can not because I want them to prioritize these activities in the right way, but I want to see how folks critically think their way through the various activities. I also am definitely looking through, again, I'm looking for folks that aren't afraid to ask questions. That is so crucial, especially like in a remote environment. When we could manage by optics, you could see somebody at their desk and maybe potentially were struggling or were not able to maneuver. You could actually see it visually or physically, the response on, on somebody's body if they were moving in the direction they wanted to move. We're in a remote environment now. So I throw in acronyms in the conversation, trying to see if they will ask me what those acronyms mean. If they don't, I ask them what the acronyms mean. <laughs> so... It's little things like that that I look for heavily. Are you going to be able to critically think your way? Are you going to be able to advocate for yourself? Are you going to be able to advocate for your customers? Can you build rapport quickly? I want to know if I put you out to represent my company to my customers, how are you going to represent yourself? It's little less important to me than all the ins and outs about customer success, the newest, latest, greatest customer success methodologies. But I do want to know that you have the aptitude, the hunger, and the desire to learn those methodologies. I can teach that. But do you have that aptitude, that hunger? There's so much more. Like I could talk about this probably for 30 minutes. So. It sounds like it's, I don't want to go more. We'll definitely make sure we'll leave a link to that post in the show notes. So if you're listening, you'll be able to find it there as well. The next thing I wanted to ask is, what's one thing that you, today that you wish you knew when you got started with your career about general retention? About churn and retention? Yeah. One thing I wish I knew when I got started. Oh my gosh, that's such a good question, Andrew. You stumped me. One thing I wish I knew about churn and retention when I got started was churn is a solvable problem if you have the right team. That's immediately where my brain goes. Yeah. I have in various companies now taken a company, and this is not swiftly, but taken a company that has had a churn problem and partnered with product, marketing, sales, and have managed to turn it around. It's solvable, yeah. but you have to leverage data and understand the root of it to be able to get at the resolution. So I think that's what I would have liked to know way earlier. It took me probably longer than it should have to really understand that. Having a good team and really good alignment. So I used to previously work at Hotjar uh, and leaks and feedback. And that was one of the questions we used to ask on the interviews. What's one thing that you today that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? And it's one of the questions I still use in our interviews now at, at my company, Avria. 
Because I think it's also a very interesting question. That's how you can test how willing are these people to learn and what ways do they go about learning and, and things like that. So it's interesting. It always puts people back to think a little bit. Uh, Maybe I'll add that. Maybe I'll add that to my interview. I, I really like that. It made me think. So That's nice. Cool. Next question then. Let's imagine a hypothetical scenario. And it's probably not hypothetical for you because you've been to a few different companies. But you arrive at a new company, channel retention is not doing great. The CEO comes to you and says, Miranda, we need to turn things around. We need to do things fast. We only have 90 days to do it. The catch though, I'm going to tell you is that you're not going to be allowed to speak to customers to understand what the pain points are and uh, start from there. You're just going to use something that you've seen be effective in a past company in reducing churn fast, like one tactic that you've seen that's been applied and it's been helpful and hope that it works at this new company that you're at. Yeah, I'm going to be the customer of my own product. I'm going to figure out what use cases are the most commonly used use cases for our product. And I'm going to try to use the product for those use cases and understand where the friction points are and where the fall points are and back into it from there quickly. I think that it's not, it's not possible that at every company, but at most companies, you can be the customer of your product and you can put yourself in your customer's shoes and understand just by being that customer what the friction points are. I think I would marry that with, again, I talked about this earlier, but looking at customer tickets, understanding what kind of bugs are outstanding, what kind of tech data is outstanding, where are we in the development cycle, how do we do releases, what is the NPS, look at all the sediment metrics, like I would just data the hell out of it and yeah. really dig in from there. Cool. And yeah, I think as well, like a lot of people as well go to data, go to speaking to people, but like this challenge, we try challenge and push on this question is that I think solving churn retention in a short period of time is not really possible, but there are certain things that we can try that help bring the number down a bit uh, and so forth. But I like that backing into your own product. Uh, so that was a trick question is what you're trying to tell me. I'm, I was supposed to say it's not possible. <laughs> uh, there are things you can do. So that's why I ask it actually, because out of curiosity, sometimes you get surprised with the answers that come back. Uh, a lot of times they're very like normally on technical side of things. So people will draw to customer credit cards. The average credit card expires uh, every 24 months or whatever it is. So on average, 5% of your customer base is churning every month just due to credit card. And that's like the different things that they would mention, not necessarily the more strategic, long-term things that are going to have the big impact. Uh, yeah, but it'll save some money in the short term. Exactly. Because, uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. I see we've run up on time. Is there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Is there any like thing they should be aware of? How can they keep up to speed with you? Yeah, so I think the final words, especially around churn and retention is, Always put the hat of your customer on to understand the experience that they're having with your product and what they're getting out of your product. And make sure that you, they have a very clear way of, of understanding the value you're bringing to them. That right there alone will help you preserve a lot of customer relationships. And the other part, if anybody wants to reach out and connect with me on LinkedIn, you can always find me there. I talk a lot about leadership, customer success, and I also share my podcast out on LinkedIn as well, From There to Here, where I talk about people about their personal journeys into their professional world. So, Very cool. I will definitely make sure to leave that in the show notes as well uh, for the listeners. But it's been a pleasure hosting you today. Thank you so much for joining and I wish you best of luck now going forward into the new year. Thank you. Thank you.
And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.